I'm very fascinated by the story because it's just like a complicated tale between women and it's kind of this tragic love story. And I feel like it was very okay to villainize Yolanda. Writing this book, I wanted to complicate that. Melissa Lazada Oliva is a Guatemalan Colombian American poet, screenwriter, and educator, as well as the co host of the podcast Say More. She is the author of a really truly incredible novel in verse called Dreaming of You, the surreal story of bringing 90s Mexican American pop star Selena back to life through a seance and the disastrous consequences that follow. Today, along with our producer Miranda, we'll talk about the life and death of Selena, who was murdered by what the media dubbed a crazed fan. And we'll talk about the power of poetry and song lyrics when you're young, as well as our favorite karaoke songs and the ghosts that sing through us. Hey, Melissa. Hi, what's up? We're so excited to have you here talking to us about the wonderful world of pop. Thanks for having me. I love pop. Love pop. Pop it, bob it, slap it. Yeah. (laughs) You guys, do you know that I, do you know this about me, Melissa, that I beat (laughs) bop it once? And by that, I mean, I got to the end and it threw me a party. It threw a whole bop it party and it wouldn't let me go any farther. Oh, wow. What is a bop it party? Did people like come out of the walls? What happened? <laughs> yeah, the, like it was kind of a Kool-Aid man. It just exploded. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, hey, hey, hey. Pretty much. <laughs> so I think we want to start out just kind of, as we're calling it, like setting your teen slash preteen scene. Oh, yes. So who were you growing up as a fangirl? We're definitely going to get into Selena. So feel free to include that or kind of other things that that also colored your early days of pop. Oh, wow. Love to think about this. Let's see. Okay. I was a teenager while like my space was slowly on its way out and someone sent me a link to uh, portions for foxes mm, on mm, Rilo mm. Kylie's MySpace page. And I like blasted that shit all day. I was like, this is, I've never heard anything like this ever before. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like discovering music through like burn CDs and like my hot like high school boyfriends would just like um it sounds like I said hot high school boyfriends I just want to like be clear they were not hot I just um I like hiccuped a little bit um yeah but they would burn me CDs and I'd be like whoa I have all this culture my mom had a salon and she would get free spin magazines and people magazines so I would just like devour pop culture that way through just like media I could hold in my hand so I remember the yeah, yeah, yeahs. And I think I was like, whatever it was. Is it indie sleaze? I can't tell. Um, I would definitely draw in my pants and I would like put shit on my walls. and My mom would get mad at me. Were you ever into boy bands or girl bands or like girl pop stars? Was that ever like a thing for you? Let's see. I really liked Ashley Simpson. Oh, yeah. So yeah. underrated. She's married to Diana Ross's son now. What? 
How do we not know that? Was I'm not sure if Ashley, yeah, Ashley Simpson was like post 9-11, which is like when there was this big pop punk boom mm-hmm. because everyone was like, I'm emo because the world doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So I got really into her in like eighth grade, I think. And then from there, I was like, wait, I'm not a poser. And then I became really into Green Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but like before that, I was like really into Jessica Simpson and I have this distinct memory of this guy asking me out and then the next day saying it was like, a, a joke in sixth grade. And then I went home and I listened to that Jessica Simpson song. Uh was like, I can let my hair down. <laughs> what is I it? Do anything crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes. And then eighth grade on was just straight emo pop and then moving into indie sleaze, I guess. What about the Spice Girls? Were you a Spice Girls person? Oh, yes, I was. I was a huge Spice Girls person. It was mostly because like my older sister was this big Spice Girls fan and I wanted to be just like her. Mm -hmm. What Spice Girl did you dress up as? Because I'm going to assume that happened. I really wanted to be Ginger Spice, which Mm -hmm. I feel like she's like the neutral one of the Spice Girls. (laughs) And I I didn't relate to any of the other ones. Neutral Spice. Yeah. It's like her whole thing is she's a redhead. I don't know. Which Spice Girls did you dress up as? Chelsea has a whole story we should get into. Chelsea. Well, <laughs> I was always made to be Baby Spice because I think Baby Spice was also the one that you made the person that was very uncomfortable in doing oh the, my god uh, spice girls game and i was just i was a little boy and i thought i needed to be a little girl so i was hanging out and uh definitely donning my, one of my mother's like uh night what are they called like a negligee i don't know we were just putting on whatever we found and there was wow. just a, like a picture of me and, and you're like goo goo oh, fuck yeah <laughs> goo goo gaga get me out of here but just like my face is of one of in this like picture of myself at eight or whatever is just one of pure terror and uh tr- oh and just God. a smile of of horror wow but Gender horror. Miranda, what about you? No one's heard what Spice Girl you dressed up as. I was always whatever my sister put me in, which was like, (laughs) I also Mm. wanted to be neutral spice, ginger spice. I never got to be. Right. I'm like, I'm not the scary one. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that to me. I know. I feel like because I was young at that juncture, it was all just like whatever everyone else around me wanted. I feel like I ended up as sporty a lot Mm. because my hair was brown. It seems like a lot of it just has to do with whatever hair you have. Right. But (laughs) we we have no choice. One thing you wanted to say, and this is like totally a little bit of a tangent, but maybe we'll we'll come back later, is what was with boys asking us out as a joke? Because that happened to me, too. (laughs) And that happened to a lot of people. What was with that? Yeah, that was really traumatizing, Kevin Bedreau. <laughs> well, he was like a popular boy, too, or whatever. And I was like, I'm finally a popular girl. And like, actually, I was like, wait, I'm a loser. I'm a freak. I'm a monster. <laughs> Obviously, we know that boys do this type of thing where it's like a defense mechanism of some kind. But uh, we've talked a lot about the contamination in pop music mm. of how... Anytime too many girls like something, it kind of becomes banished from the world of boys. And from the world at large. Right, right. It comes from the same heart as asking us out as a joke, I think. 
Yeah, totally. I think like I'm maybe just like about to turn 30. Like I don't feel that anymore, but just this perpetual need to like be cool. And then as soon as like you are interested in something, it's like, wait, you've never heard of this or like, ew, like now it's bad. (laughs) But then like, I think in the last like three years, I've been like maybe reclaiming that and only liking things that are like, Maybe also this is like pandemic brain where I can only enjoy things that are just like fucking bad. (laughs) I was listening to Mandy Moore's new single yesterday and I was like, this goes. And just like sugary, like saccharin, just like no thought in it. Give it to me. Totally intended for my gender. (laughs) Yeah, we discredit all that kind of stuff, but it's like often the most comforting and We just need something that covers us in a nice blanket of mindlessness, and that's totally okay. Yeah. We've talked in this series so much about boy bands, but we haven't really talked about women in pop music. Mm. So it's interesting that you bring up, we've brought up both Mandy Moore and Ashley Simpson. It's weird how women in pop music are so important in the moment, but then once they're past their moment we don't canonize them yeah the way that we do men in pop music or in like in popular music in general we just don't think about like donna summer as classic music even though she was just as big as all of these other right men at the time so i, w- I don't know i've been thinking about that right i, I keep like bringing it back to now but this like rise of sad indie girls where like all of their music or all music right now is super confessional and I feel like in the 90s you needed like an English degree to like figure out like what the fuck anyone was talking about and I'm not sure if it's like a good thing or a Mm -hmm. bad thing but like you can literally just like say what you mean in pop songs now like Billie Eilish being like I don't talk shit about you on the internet (laughs) but then I'm like she's canonized because she was this young, amazing, prolific child who was like making bops in her bedroom. And now we're seeing her get older Mm -hmm. and we're like, okay, like what happens when she's no longer like 18? Is she going to still be special? I just, I feel like for some reason we give so much like time and space to like 16 year olds. (laughs) It'll be really interesting to see how these, because our biggest female pop stars right now are sad indie girls Mm -hmm. and they were all like prodigies so it'll be really interesting to see how social media and like the confessional nature of pop music Mm. now relates to like how we've seen people like Britney Spears you know Mm. obviously like once they age out it's something really different and I wonder how that'll go in terms of relating back to that. Mm. I mean, obviously, the Internet has become a great equalizer of sorts in many ways. And I guess when someone like Britney Spears like aged out or we were no longer interested in her because she didn't want to be consumed in a certain way and kind of dropped off, whatever happened, it's in the control of the celebrity now to decide Mm -hmm. what their PR is and what their communications are going to be and when they want to put out music and whether or not they disappear or come back. And then it's just largely up to whether we are interested or not instead of are we being sold this Mm -hmm. or not, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Yeah. I think the audience has more agency or so like maybe we've been like trained to think everyone's like expecting us to be like a little smarter. (laughs) Things are being like marketed to us as if we know better. Maybe. Right. So one of the reasons we 
wanted to have you on the show is because of your book, Dreaming of You, Mm -hmm. which we love so very much. Um, (laughs) I want to make sure that people know the story of Selena, because that is Mm. essentially the heart of your book. And it galaxies Mm. out into many, many different things. But I think you could call that the heart. That's a good verb. Galaxy. Yes. Yeah. It just came to me. Um, (laughs) Okay. So um, Selena Quintanilla Perez was a very talented Chicana pop star. She grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas, and her dad noticed that she was very talented from a young age. He kind of stage parented her and was like, we're going to make like a family band. You're going to sing and your brothers and sisters are going to like play the drums and the guitar. And I think something important and maybe people don't talk about a lot is that Selena also was like the most beautiful of her siblings. She was very talented, but I think it's important that a pop star or an idol like needs to be pretty. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of just like gained notoriety and by her teens became this fixture in Latin American music. And then was starting to like make her crossover into American pop in this like moment of her like really just at the peak of her fame. She got this fan, Yolanda Saldivar, who was a woman who was 10 years older than her. The media kind of constructs her as being much older than her. It's just like another way of like, okay, as soon as you hit 30, you're a monster. Mm. And she and Selena got really close and Yolanda became the manager of her fan club. So now there's this relationship of fan and celebrity and friendship, professional and personal lines deeply crossed. It's like you're paying your friend to work for you. And then like Yolanda Saldivar started embezzling money from the fan club. And Selena approached her and was like, this is fucked up. I have to fire you. And as the story goes, Yolanda was like, I need to meet with you. Come to this motel. And from Yolanda's perspective, Selena was like begging her not to go and was like, my dad is making you leave and I don't want you to go. And then she's like, Selena, if you don't go, I'm going to kill myself. And then Selena turns around and the gun like accidentally goes off, shoots Selena in the back and she runs through the motel. The bullet hits her artery and she dies very tragically on the motel floor at 23 years old. No one knows exactly what happened in the motel room. Yolanda killed her. (laughs) I don't know how much of an accident it was. I don't think the gun just went off. I think it was manslaughter. But I'm very fascinated by the story because it's just like a complicated tale between women and it's kind of this tragic love story and I feel like it was very okay to villainize Yolanda because she killed somebody which is like yeah not okay but also being like I'm glad she's in jail she's a crazy lesbian and writing this book I wanted to complicate that and be like well like where did this happen like you don't just kill someone out of nowhere what makes someone do this so in the book you like see Yolanda like break out of prison and you kind of have empathy for her she's still kind of cray but that's the story of Selena (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think part of why I feel like all of this relates to what we're talking about with fangirls and boy bands is Yolanda Saldivar is sort of the ultimate demonization of a fangirl because she had so many roles and the way that we remember her and the way that we paint the picture is of her as a fan yes so I feel like that's the ways that we paint fangirls as these dark almost demonic forces sometimes like really comes out in that story yeah I I like how you said that you know she has like all of these roles 
I feel like the fan is this weird mother wife or something, mother wife, <laughs> girlfriend who's never actually let to get to that level of intimacy. It's just, I'll do all these things for mm. you. And a lot of my income is going towards you. And think of like BTS fans who just like organize all of these huge things around and for BTS. And then they'll never like be in the same room as them ever. I think people really need Jesus. <laughs> My ex-boyfriend's mother, who I really love, she said, if you don't introduce your children to religion, they'll find it in a person or a band Ooh. or a cult. <laughs> and I think there's just like a really human need to feel like you belong to something and to like worship something that's bigger than you. Hopefully you don't do it and either of those things. What if this is like, and now I love Jesus Christ. <laughs> and this is my rant on like how much I, I am for the Lord. <laughs> Thanks for choosing our show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for choosing God. <laughs> Always. So I think that that's really interesting that you bring up kind of a religious angle because there's a definite loss of self that happens, right? Yeah. When you are obsessed with anything, but certainly a pop star. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, since Yolanda has been demonized as this like sort of bloodthirsty fangirl, which fangirls across history have been, mm -hmm. but it does seem that there were complicated factors at play beyond that. Yeah, I think there was a lot going on with Yolanda. And I think even though she was, I, I'm, I'm making the defense that she was like actually pretty young, but like, yeah, you are like an older woman and maybe she felt like she was past her prime. Um, she had this like bad haircut. She was kind of this frumpy person who was not sexualized at all. Mm -hmm. And I also like truly think she was gay mm -hmm. and truly in love with Selena. And I read this book while I was writing Dreaming of You called Salanidad, where there's this whole chapter it's by Deborah Paredes. And there's a whole chapter on how the patriarchy killed Selena mm -hmm. um, because it denied Yolanda her desires. And it made Selena like just do whatever her dad told her to do. Her dad is like a huge presence in Selena's death. Mm -hmm. He didn't kill her, but there's like rumors that Yolanda was assaulted by Selena's dad. And that's why she had the gun to begin with. Yeah, she's just a complicated woman. Don't trust her for sure, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think she's just a person like looking for love. At the end of the day, it's very relatable. Like all of these dark, evil thoughts that come to mind when, you know, you think of the person you're dating, like their ex-girlfriend, mm -hmm. all of these really immature, fucked up things. And you're like, okay, this isn't me, but I'm still thinking it. Yeah, I think she just tapped into something evil and feral <laughs> that isn't not in any of us. And also we're not, none of us are like the worst thing we've ever done. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. Yeah. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never frozen, ready to eat gourmet meals that are chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. 
Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week. And you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Can you talk a little bit about how Selena's experience rolled through all of this kind of stuff? Do you feel like you have kind of a handle on where Selena's mindset was throughout this meteoric rise? Yeah. I mean, just like going back to all of those young pop stars that we were just talking about who will one day be old. She was just rising to fame young and all of her memories of youth are just performing. And she was like a star. And also like I read all these interviews and like watching all these interviews, like she was so loved because she was so fucking lovely and charismatic and had this beautiful infectious laugh and made you feel like you were the only person in the room because she had enough energy to and was a, a star in so many ways. My mom always says that Selena was too good and that's why she died. Like she was too nice and too uh, assuming that nobody would ever do her wrong because she would never do anybody wrong. I think that kind of takes agency away from Selena and Mm -hmm. makes her too much of a saint. But maybe also at the end of the day, we're all just dumb little bitches who open the door to people that we shouldn't because we want to be trusting and have big, open, wide hearts. And then if we're allowed to get older in this like wretched world, we realize maybe we shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, there's all these other rumors about Selena that she was actually having an affair with her plastic surgeon and was pregnant and you'll Londa knew this and had this secret. And at the same time, like Selena was newly married and all she really ever wanted was love too. And in these interviews is like, I want a lot of babies and I just want to be a mother and a wife. It's just sad that she was denied that. So I feel like, you know, from Selena's perspective, I don't want to see her as this pure, innocent, virginal martyr. But I think there are just like two forces colliding and it feels all of it feels inevitable. (laughs) How do you think things would have gone if Selena wasn't murdered? Because there's something about dying young that allows you to preserve a certain image of someone. So just I know it's complete speculation, but from all of the things that you've learned about this person and the conditions around this person, do you have any idea how things might have gone? I had a whole um, alternate universe where she doesn't die in the back of my book. And it's kind of like fantastical. Mm -hmm. I feel like 
you know, we could have seen her become Mexican Britney Spears, you know, mm-hmm. something could have happened. She could have had an affair with a celebrity. She could have said something problematic on the Internet. She could have had a daughter. I, I feel like what I wish for her in this alternate world is that she got to have beautiful, mediocre moments as just the woman that she wanted to be. And my cynical self is like, she probably, I mean, I don't know if there'd be a J-Lo without Selena, which is interesting to think about. I feel like we wouldn't have all of these rom-coms, like these like canonical rom-coms with J-Lo. And so maybe like Selena would replace J-Lo and we would see Selena in all of these rom-coms. I definitely think there'd be a lot more Selena movies. I think we would see her like on a track with Pitbull. I think the track of Latin music would be a lot different than it is right now. She was really, she had heavy influences from like ACDC and like, she like loved rock and roll. She like loved Tina Turner and she was really trying to do that in her music, but mix it up with cumbia and and pop. And oh God, I really wish I could see like what she would have done. (laughs) And her brother wrote a lot of her music, right? Yes. We were like talking about that this morning with the ways that pop music is generally controlled by these outsources, different producers and stuff. But do you feel like it was like a machine that created Selena? Or do you feel like it was a pure rise that came straight out of her family systems? I know the the whole thing is so like American dream. They were very like mom and pop business about it. Like it was not a machine. It was like all in the family. I, I know they started working with producers when she started going into like American music. But yeah, it was just like kind of the equivalent of, oh, this like corner store has, you know, that's not really a good analogy. I was going to say like, they're like a corner store that becomes like a chain. <laughs> but I think there there is something really pure about that. And part of that has to do with how much of a reign Abraham, her dad had over everything. He was like, we, uh, you know, we're doing this my way. <laughs> so what was it that for you as a kid that made you because I imagine you were a Selena fan as a kid, right? This wasn't just a retrospective. I think I mean, to be honest with you, I feel like I've been more of a fangirl to like a lot of other artists. And I feel like I was like this with Green Day and like Muse (laughs) Um, (laughs) and never truly like this with Selena. I was just thinking about I was like, I think the guy from Muse was like the sexiest man in the world. And now I'm like, what the fuck? Like, that's just a white guy. (laughs) I think I just, Selena was just this like ever present musical force throughout childhood to college to grad school. She's just always forever been there. I was like born like a few years before she died. So it's just like, she's always there. And I've just like had all these artists and like felt all these things towards them. And in that way, I think I'm just kind of, I'm like using the whole thing as a vehicle to talk about issues with celebrity and all that other stuff. But yeah, my sister really loved Selena and like the Spice Girls, I wanted to be just like my sister. That concept of celebrity that you're talking about and like turning our pop stars into ghosts before and after they die. Mm -hmm. The poem in Dreaming of You, I think it's called Dead Celebrity Prom, is like one of my favorites. Do you want to just talk more about what we do to pop stars, both current and past? So the dead celebrity prom happens because Melissa the Poet brings Selena back to life and it like opens up a weird portal where all all of these celebrities start coming back to life. But they're like these Wi-Fi ghosts Mm. and they can kind of only talk in their old interviews and like all the ways that they've been recorded. 
And cynically, like everything is enveloped by capitalism and Arizona iced tea and radio stations. <laughs> so I feel like we just we are always like profiting off of people no matter what. And actually what's fucked up is people keep tagging me in this, but Selena's own family is making a new album with Selena's voice of new music. Oh, Oh yeah, and they're and it's so fucking weird. But I'm like, this is what I'm. Ta- I've told you. I this is what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Prophetic. Wow. Yeah. So this book that you wrote, Dreaming of You, is a novel in verse. So you have a background in poetry. You are a poet, mm-hmm. and poetry itself is like a lot, I think, of our experience with poetry growing up comes from song lyrics, earliest on probably pop song lyrics. Mm -hmm. And poetry itself is an equally maligned thing when you're growing up, right? You hide your poetry. Mostly girls are writing Mm -hmm. poetry, but Mm -hmm. it's it's like a secret thing you do that's embarrassing and personal. And I just have been thinking a lot about how poetry and song lyrics are so connected when you're young. And then bigger picture Mm. how poets are treated similarly to fangirls, like infantilized or made fun of. Ooh, yeah. I know poetry is so emotional, so it gets really gendered as this foolish little thing. I think when I was growing up, I don't think I started liking poetry until college, honestly. I was like, this is fucking boring. (laughs) There is this one poem by Etheridge Knight called Feeling Fucked Up that I was like, holy shit, I've never read anything like this. He's just saying like, fuck all of this, fuck all of this, like fuck Fannin, fuck Nixon, fuck the world, fuck like the clouds in the sky and fuck the whole motherfucking thing. All I want now is my woman back so my soul can sing. And I was like, this is so, I was like, I don't know. I still love that poem a lot. But a lot of it, it's a song basically. Mm -hmm. And all right, music is like really, really important Mm -hmm. to me. I spend a lot of my life and days just listening to it and I have opinions about Mm -hmm. it and it just has shaped a lot of my life. And a lot of that is because of what people are saying in songs. And when I was first like listening to music, really like actually it was because of the words and the lyrics and I would write those down and I'd be like, whoa, like yeah. look at these words on the page. And I think, yeah, poetry has had had like a, a heyday in the last like three or five years. And part of it is due to the internet and Twitter and like the format of Twitter where those look like poems and the way text looks on Instagram Mm. squares. And it's just become like more accessible. I have seen it become like commodified, but mostly I think it's cool. So what about like you were writing lyrics right in your notebook? I feel like I broke up with several people with notes of Mm. song lyrics being just like Blink-182 lyrics or something. Because we talked about in our episodes on fangirls and boy bands about a lot of the appeal of these pop groups is the way that they actually treat women with respect which seems sort of, you wouldn't think of it that way. But if you're listening to Blink-182, if you're listening to Mm -hmm. Eminem that are coming around the same time as uh, Backstreet Boys or NSYNC, you're going to hear really different messages and you're going to relate to one of those messages and probably not so much the other. And so Mm. I think there's more to lyrics. There's just so much about it. And I'm wondering if that sparked anything for you, my little rant there. 
For sure. Yeah, I think, okay, I'm going to talk about Green Day and I'm going to talk about Jenny Lewis. Fabulous. So uh, I got Green Day's American Idiot shortly after my parents divorced and the album jacket of Green Day like has all of the lyrics in it and they're all like handwritten and I was just like, oh my God, this is, I, I like read it over and over again like a fucking book. But there's one song called What's Her Name, which is at the end of American Idiot, which is, oh, what a beautiful fucking song but it's just this like you know he sees a woman on the street but he can't remember her name but he remembers the face and like it's like this beautiful like heartbreak song but I became obsessed with like and I think my chemical romance did this too but just like this woman that you can't have this woman who is gone and who it just embodies all of these things that you want but for some reason like you didn't choose her. And I was like, I want to be that woman. And I think, (laughs) I don't know, that's not the best way to like come up in the world, but it is better than, I don't know, having this like bad body ideal. And then I think Jenny Lewis had all of these (laughs) songs that I was listening to when I was 15 about like sleeping with married men and, (laughs) you know, walking away from men and just like love not working out and being so tortured. And I was like, oh my God, I want to be this woman too. (laughs) And uh, I was listening to like, does he love you? My friend and I were singing, does he love you at karaoke, like in my living room. And everyone was like, this is your favorite childhood (laughs) song. Like what? (laughs) It's like, your husband will never leave you for me. We're like, yeah. (laughs) But all of it is super formative with how I just ended up being in relationships and the way I would pursue relationships and exit relationships. And these are all the songs that I come back to when I'm like in and out of love. And it's almost this like prophecy it's almost like Mm -hmm. that's how I've understood myself as a person in love or a woman in the world is like through these pillars of songs yeah I feel like so much of being a fan of music is like you're saying seeing yourself or something you want to be yeah in the lyrics yeah and like how do I get there how Mm -hmm. do I like become what this person is singing about you have the note of karaoke Miranda Yeah, I was going to say we could talk a little bit about how karaoke is such a grand connector in the way that music is a grand connector. And like, yeah, we can all come together and do karaoke. And I know that that's a favorite pastime of yours, Melissa. (laughs) Yes, I do love karaoke so much. I was on the speech team in high school and the guy who like led the speech team was this young English teacher who was just like really lovely and not creepy or anything. But after a speech meet, he was like, what if we all did karaoke? And we all did karaoke underneath his apartment. (laughs) It was very cute. It was very YA. And then I was like, holy shit, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard of. And then I became really into it. And I had like a, instead of having a quinceanera, I had a quinceanera. And from then on, karaoke has just been It's forever in my life. I don't understand. I mean, maybe you feel differently, but I'm like, I don't understand how you can like be in karaoke and like have a bad time. It's so entertaining. If you don't recognize a song, whatever, but like if you do, it's like so much fun to sing along with people. You don't have to be a good singer. It's so fun to people watch. There's just like the most random people who come. It's kind of romantic. It's just like a good way to party. I don't know. (laughs) 
And it's a good way to connect with people that are gone in a way. Like, your yes. Selena's like fucking living through your body mm. in those moments. Yeah. No matter how yes. bad it is, you know? Exactly. Mm. Mm. Karaoke is kind of haunted for that reason, too. It's, yeah. And then, like, the lyrics on the screen is like, that's poetry, too. That's a book. Absolutely. With the weird videos that they make sometimes. Uh, the way it like, scrolls what? up. Oh, the, my God. The videos. Oh my God. I love it. Just truly an art form all its own yeah everyone's like in lays (laughs) there's a lot of waterfront imagery yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) it's kind of the same way that we we want to embody the lyrics that we love and in karaoke we can actually do that we can actually have those lyrics run through our bodies in like a public and social setting and all of these songs can become our bodies yes and don't you become the pop star in that moment exactly you do you do should we end with our go-to karaoke songs Ooh. okay your go-to karaoke song if you want to impress somebody if you like want someone to fall in love with you and a karaoke song if you like are trying to like rile up the crowd and one that you can really sing oh this is like a fuck mary kill yeah we'll start with miranda (sighs) okay (laughs) fuck mary karaoke (laughs) My fall in love with song is I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney. Yes. My, what was the song? Oh, the Rile Up the Crowd song is I Believe in a Thing Called Love by The Darkness. Yes. And my song I actually love to sing is Somewhere That's Green from Little Shop of Horrors. Ooh, I love that. Chelsea, you go. Okay, all right, me next. Well, I think mine's the same across the board. (laughs) (laughs) And it is Blink-182, what the fuck's the song called? Where are you? Oh, miss you. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's my go-to across the board. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I do my best. Yeah, my best Tom DeLonge. I guess if I was like wanting to be hot, I mean, I might go that route, but I could do like a little, we don't love her, but Lana Del Rey's video games, I feel (laughs) can be a really uh, sultry choice. Oh yeah, that's Um, that's a great, that's a great karaoke song. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And then I guess if I were to pump the crowd up, maybe I do like This Is Growing Up by Blink-182. I'm limited. Wow. I'm limited. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe, though, Garth Brooks, I Got Friends in Low Places. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I feel like your Rile Up song is I Just Can't Wait to Be King. (laughs) True. I do do a mean Simba. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. Okay, Melissa. Okay, my song to rile up the crowd, Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield. Mm. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Song to make someone fall in love with me that can only be done if it's like domestic at home karaoke. Uh, So karaoke party is Shut Up, Kiss Me, Angel Olsen. (laughs) Mm, Nice. And song I can sing well is Superstar by The Carpenters. Ooh, I love that. A cornucopia. I thought about this a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Melissa, this has been so much fun to like fangirl, fanboy out. This is so fun. Yes. Thank you so much for being willing to talk to us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And I hope that you will come back and talk to us eventually soon. Oh, would love and to. And thank you, Miranda. Yes. As well. I love that you're both on Earth. It's a great blessing. <laughs> Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. Make sure you get a copy of Melissa's book, Dreaming of You, right now. We especially recommend the audiobook read by Melissa herself. 
And thus concludes our series on fangirls and boy bands. I promise when we come back, things are going to get dark again. So we're taking a few weeks off to prepare for some really exciting new stuff. So be patient with us. We should be back in about a month with brand new weird-ass topics. So for now, listen to some reruns or join our Patreon like our other beautiful, angelic patrons that we love so much. You'll get extra content like our two other shows, Hysteria, Home Companion, and Walk With Me. Just head to patreon.com slash American Hysteria. And in the meantime, you can also follow us on social media at American Hysteria Podcast on Instagram and at Amer Hysteria on Twitter. If you'd like to get your hands on some of our merch, head to AmericanHysteria.com. This episode was co-hosted by me and Miranda Zickler and was produced by Miranda as well with sound design by Clear Camo Studios. So thanks, as always, for listening. And now to the topics of boy bands and fangirls, we say our final bye-bye-bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.